0: Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium, and of course, my new publishing company called Zivi Books. And now, back to our daily author interview site, and a quick hello from some of my kids.
3: Hi! Hi! Hello!
0: Enjoy the show. Lisa Barr is the author of Woman on Fire, a novel. She is the award-winning author of The Unbreakables and the historical thriller Fugitive Colors, a suspenseful tale of stolen art, love, lust, deception, and revenge on the eve of World War II. The novel won the IPPY Ippy Gold Medal for Best Literary Fiction and first prize at the Hollywood Film Festival. In addition, Lisa served as an editor for the Jerusalem Post, managing editor of Today's Chicago Woman, managing editor of Moment Magazine, and as an editor-reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. Among the highlights of her career, Lisa covered the famous handshake between the late Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, the late PLO leader Yasser Arafat, and President Bill Clinton at the White House. Lisa has been featured on Good Morning America and today for her work as an author, journalist, and blogger. She lives in the Chicago area with her husband and three daughters, a.k.a. Drama Central. And by the way, actress Sharon Stone has now optioned Woman on Fire with her production company to turn it into something on the screen, which is super exciting. I adore Lisa Barr, and I'm so proud of her. This book was really great. Welcome back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, Lisa, for Women on Fire, your latest novel. Congratulations.
1: Thank you so much. So great to be with you, Zivi. You
0: too. And I'm so glad we were hanging out at Books and Books in Miami for a little bit. And I'm sorry you left before we got to take a picture, but it was so fun to see you there.
1: It was so fun. It was such a surprise, you know, just to Rochelle called and said, Zibby's going to be there. And like, we
0: got in our car and ran over. So. Oh, yay. That was so, <laughs> it was great. Well, I got to know you through your first book, The Unbreakables, and then through Rochelle and then all of our events. And I don't know, somehow we've all just, gotten to know each other and it's been so great. And I was so excited when Woman on Fire came out because this cover is like amazing. And mm-hmm. now I am even more excited because your book is so good. It's so good. It's really well-written. It's like propulsive. You don't want to put it down. I'm really just, I feel like this pride for you. <laughs> I don't know. I'm really excited for you. It's oh, awesome. Oh my gosh.
1: Thank you. I mean, I, you know, it is it is such a great thing in the in the book world. I mean, I feel like we all really try to lift each other. So, you know, I know when your new book is coming out and like in all your anthologies, you know, I, it's the same thing. You just, I'm like, go Zivi! Yeah. No, I just feel so much excitement about it. You know, just because we know how hard this business can be. And it is great when you have people like you to, you know, lift everybody or lift us. So... Oh. Thank well, you.
0: but the joy is when you dive into a book and get so hooked and like, it's great. It's the best feeling. Like it doesn't get old. Okay. Tell everybody what your book is about,
1: please. Okay. So I brought my, this is the arc. The, the book is coming out very soon and it's Woman on Fire is about a 24-year-old, very savvy young journalist who gets embroiled in a major international art scandal centered around a Nazi looted painting. And so I loved writing this book. I wrote it all during COVID lockdown, and it's got kind of everything I love to write and read, history, suspense, art, risky journalistic pursuits, and, you know, of course, strong, fiery women. So It was really fun to write and also, you know, difficult, the parts that I was still in art and the Holocaust. So, you know, it's the whole shebang and I really loved writing this book. So,
0: yeah. Um, Well, it's really good. And so, okay, you have all these different storylines interweaving and the... Elder man who started the shoe company. What is his name again? What is his name? Ellis Baum. Ellis, Ellis okay. Baum. So Ellis is one of the main characters, and he has been hiding his upbringing, right? He pretends that he's like a diamond guy, and really he survived the war and had the... Should I, maybe I shouldn't reveal all this, but... No, it's okay. This, this is okay. It was all pretty early. So he, his mother dies in front of him in this horrific Nazi era. Like, what... I mean, it never gets old, but it's like in every... Holocaust-era, World War II-era thing. There are these horrific tragedies that happen all the time. And it doesn't get any better just because there are so many of them. You know what I mean? So anyway, he talks about his trauma and how he reinvents himself, as so many people did, how he lived in the sewers and then has to come over and ends up starting basically becoming Manolo Manolo Blahnik, essentially. Exactly. Exactly. Totally. And then now he's nearing the end of his life in his 70s with— and is trying to come to terms with some of the stuff in his past and this one painting and his mother and all of the stuff and how that intersects with all of these other forces like Like, the young journalist, who, by the way, is so amazing, just, like, plowing right in and being like, I'm going to get this job. Like, I mean, women on fire. Like, she is the woman on fire in this book, for sure, with her determination. And I don't know. I could never do that in a job interview. I just, like, sat there politely. And, you know, the idea that I would, like, blow past security and get a job for myself the way she did. Anyway, and so—and then you have the past and the present and, like, the reporter with who has already been in this, I mean, there's so many things. How did you, and of course the the older man who was hiding all the art and then the art dealer woman who, I mean, it's like the characters are so visual and I know we've sort of chit-chatted that there may be some news about an adaptation or something going on that you can't reveal yet, but probably will be revealed by the time this podcast episode comes out. But it is so visual and the way you're pacing, I'm sorry, I'm like rambling and rambling, but no, no, your pacing is so good. Like you go from this to that, to this, to like the grandson who looks like the Unabomber who's like in recovery. And then like, you learn about more recovery. There's like so many things and yet it all like links up. I don't know. It's very cool. That wasn't even a question. That was just no, like a no, random uh, first of answer. all, thank
1: you because you gave such, you know, I'm, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat listening to you and all the different things. I think What it was is I wanted to create this one painting that in my mind, you know, as when you write historical fiction or suspense, you want the reader to walk away with something, some sort of knowledge of the history, kind of through the back door of fiction. So I knew that I wanted to create this major artwork based on a composite of paintings that were destroyed or confiscated or looted during the Holocaust by the Nazis. So this is Woman on Fire is the painting. And it's the last major work by an expressionist artist who's murdered. But it's almost as if the painting, given all the things that you just discussed, is a character Mm -hmm. herself as well. And so I wanted to create all these people because this is real life where so many heirs of those who were murdered during the Holocaust and lost all their assets, art being a major asset, are trying to reclaim their family's paintings and lots of legal work, et cetera, et cetera, going on. But I wanted to showcase through this one painting, how all these people are connected and what it means to each of them. And so Through that, it's almost like a spider web and how they're all going to connect and intersect. So what I did in order to make this work is I literally separated each character and gave them a composite down to what their scent is, what they smell like, what they eat, what they like, and the things that would connect each of them. And so I was able with that to kind of cross over and intersect and give the reader sort of a direct lineage to the painting with each of these characters. So it was a lot of work. You should have seen my dining room table covered with cards and sticky notes. And the main character, Jules Roth, 24-year-old journalist, was a lot of me in my past life that like, you know, there's real stuff that we can get into. That was my own personal story that I gave to her. So it was very fun writing her sort of where I am now, this like crusty old seasoned journalist, you know, author, being able to kind of go back to when I was idealistic and nothing but the truth and I'll get there, no kids at that point. So I could do anything in sort of a fearless, way. And yeah, so it was, as you're saying, creating all these characters with everyone having their own, you know, angle toward this painting. Wow. And this book came together. Finally. Well,
0: let's, what, let's go back to Jules and the similarities to you. Yes, uh, So Jules gets the bug essentially for journalism by this, by becoming an anonymous source and what becomes a Pulitzer Prize winning case for a paper. Yeah. But then it goes too far with, the, the main guy at the paper. And so she feels like she's thrown away her entire career. Did something like that happen with you? Yes.
1: Yes. Oh, no, and that really? is, yes, that is my story. I, in high school, when I was a, a senior, I was used as bait to break a sex trafficking ring. And we did. And so oh, my gosh, yeah. So that's, that's my story that I gave to her. I, embellished it and changed it for her where all these people were brought to justice that were kind of prominent people. In my case, it was sort of these seedy characters who were involved in a a terrible sex trafficking ring. And so I wanted to give her something as this anonymous girl Mm -hmm. and showing that she was going to be a journalist, you know, way back when, like the bug got to her, you know, very early on. And yes, you know, myself and, you know, so many other women have had sort of these experiences, Me Too type of experiences. Mine was different than Jules, but I wanted to give her something that would really impact and affect her and how she would go after things in life, like sort of a A real turning point for her, you know, as a young journalist and how she would handle things. So later on, when a relationship starts to happen, she has to make a decision like, you know, do I want to get involved with a source? Do I want to do this? Like this, it triggers things in her. So, yes, that was a lot of me in Jules. And yeah, and, and I, I enjoyed writing her and showing how you can survive and get past things and still use those things to uh, for good. And so Jules is a special character to me for sure.
0: Oh. Well, I could definitely see you tossing aside like a Navy sheath dress for some black <laughs> skin tight number to show off your- Forever amazing, 21, navy, baby. Yeah, forever 21, I'm like, Okay. <laughs> That sounds really weird. But you know, in that, in that scene too, you know, this whole, with me too, and not to, I, I don't know, I feel, I have to tread lightly in this, in this whole topic, but I think what you did so well in the book is how you can want to get together with someone and not want what happens afterwards, right? Like she, she wants to hook up with this guy, but she, that doesn't mean that anything that comes after is okay. Like desire on the part of women is, there's nothing wrong with that. Just because you desire to be with somebody doesn't mean you want it completely out of your control immediately. Right. And so, and, and yet it like, that's what gets women into trouble. It's like, well, Oh, you know, you wanted to, you know, you didn't, this was, you know, you kissed him first or whatever it is like, okay. Yeah. But does that mean that I deserve whatever comes next?
1: Uh, Exactly. Exactly. No, I, I agree with you. And, you know, I was, trying very careful because I wanted to keep the focus on, you know, the painting and the history, not to make it a, you know, a me too story, but I did want to no, give it's her- it's just some, a tiny
0: passage. Right. <laughs> it's,
1: a, it's a tiny aspect of her background, but it's a big aspect of why she does the things that she does or how she feels about things. So, uh, you know, all these things, I mean, we could address that, that happen in our youth, make us who we are and the things we fight for today. So- That's what I wanted to give to her.
0: You wrote it really in such a good way. Let me see. I dog-eared this passage, I think. You said, she vowed to never let anyone or anything get in the way of a story again, but she did exactly as the man had asked. She told no one and let it go. And yet it never really went away. It cleaved and clotted her until it became a new layer of skin, thicker, tougher, and impenetrable. Yeah, That's beautiful.
1: Absolutely. And I think that piece, also made her the journalist that she is, and she will become toward the end of the story. you know she will really rise and um, and learn so a lot you know she will have a journey here,
0: wow, yeah, you also show Jude learning about all of the holocaust and things, and you you casually put in all these facts and figures like. 600,000 stolen artworks and, you know, millions more that you don't know and how they were shuttled off to different countries and how gallerists tried to do that. Tell me about your research into all of that and how much you knew. And did you really go see, was this you who saw something at your bat mitzvah? Like, like Jules, like, did you go learn that, you're, right? She had something in her bat mitzvah. Like, when did you <laughs> learn all about this? And, and do you have, did you always have like a fascination with this, with this stolen artwork Peace. Yeah, no
1: that it's a great question. So, I'm a daughter of a Holocaust survivor and I think it was in the in the early 90s which is, you know, in terms of timeline Jules would have, you know, had her bat mitzvah, but I would went to an exhibit at the Art Institute about stolen art and the Nazis. And it was like the first time this is coming out. Like this is before monuments, men. This is before (laughs) woman in gold. This is early on. And I went in there and I had this aha moment. I could not believe learning that Hitler was an artist And a madman, a murderer. How could someone have that sensitivity? And so then I just started getting hooked. So my for my first novel, Fugitive Colors, it was my debut novel. It's about stolen art as well, but about the painters themselves. So I did four years of research before I would even allow myself to write. I was in Paris, I traveled, I interviewed, I documentaries, I, you know, this is where my journalistic skills. Came in handy, I left no stone unturned. So, not that I became a quasi expert, but I really knew this subject. And so it was so deep and so heavy that when I got to The Unbreakables, it's like I needed a break from that. Mm -hmm. I needed to write something fictional, sexy, you know, art as well. She's a sculptor, but something totally different. But then with Woman on Fire, I needed to go back to it. And what led me back, I, this, I was actually working on something having to do with the Warsaw Ghetto uprising, and I put that aside. And what led me back was in 2012 or 2013 is when the story was exposed. In Munich, they discovered a, a recluse, an old man with 1,500 and this works of art, major masterpieces, Chagall's, Picasso's, you know, Matisse literally hidden in his stove and in his food cabinet worth like $1.5 billion. So it turns out that this is not just any old man recluse. This was the son of Hitler's art dealer and the guy who went after and handled all the stolen art. And the father, Hildebrand Gerlitt, bequeathed all of this to this reclusive son, Cornelius Gerlitt. And it was a huge, crazy, big story in the art world. And I thought to myself in that moment, you know, when I know that I have my story, I get this visceral body reaction. And I'm like, this is my story. I have to use it. So this is the the jumping board where my evil character, Margot de Laurent, is, you know, sort of a ruthless art dealer. She goes in and she takes, and it's not a spoiler, but steals all these paintings. So is it a crime if you steal from the robber is my question. And so... That's where it all developed. But I look for a news hook with whatever I write for my stories.
0: Oh my gosh. I didn't realize that was a real... Yeah, that's real. That's real. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, now I feel kind of stupid, but... No, no. That's that's
1: what I love, that people are going to learn about this and you're giving me a chance to talk about this because it, it does feel like fiction. And, you know, truth is stranger than fiction sometimes. But yes, so that is a real story that I jumped off of in this book.
4: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which
0: tell me about your family history which part of your, your, your which parent like where yes. were they based what so, happened the whole thing so my my
1: dad yeah my dad and you know literally he was very young he had his bar mitzvah coming on the boat to america i mean he was really young at the time but my immediate family survived but all of their relatives from poland uh you know perished in auschwitz and so there is, they survived because they were pushed to Siberia and they were, you know, sent there into work camps and that, you know, saved their life in a way. Yes. And so, you know, you get all these stories as a young person living in suburbia and you know that you're very different than the other kids around you, your background. And so I think mostly for me, my grandmother was. The key, she's the voice in my head. Um, she was my best friend, she was a fighter, she was tiny like me, you know. She, you know, the whole thing. And we were like this. And I really learned everything. Very simple woman, but such a fighter from her. And I think my going back to this part of history is really my connection to her. I dedicate the book to her as well. So, yeah, so that's my family history. But as you know, our family histories guide us in everything we do, you know, the mistakes we make, the, you know, the choices we make, you know, all those things.
0: I mean, as you are telling me the story, it just, it's like... You know, in Back to the Future, where, like, the, the photo disappears and all that yes, in front yes. of you. I'm literally like, you know, it it would be so easy for this, for you to just be like, like, it's so unlikely that you even got, like, it, the fact that they survived and that yeah. you got to survive. And now you're writing this whole thing yeah. about it so and letting other people know. And we get to talk about it. It's like a miracle, really. And then I think yeah. about all the people who aren't able to do that and all of your cousins and the people who would have been here. I mean, it's... yeah. It's it's hard. And and also with the surging of anti-Semitism,
1: yes. you know, these days, it's a it's really tough stuff. So I think it's important. You know, that's why I feel like although this book is suspense and, you know, for my feeling, you know, strong fiction, um, historical fiction. And for me, there's personal meaning and I want people to walk away with it, you know, that they take away something or they learn something or they just feel connected or they'll see an article in the New York Times about stolen art and they'll have had a little bit of a background because they'll read my book. And so for me, that is the most meaningful part of this whole new book journey.
0: Oh, It's so amazing. It's yes. really impressive. It's like it's it has the intrigue and all of that from the art like in the like a thomas crown affair ish type intrigue yes and yet the soul of the holocaust i mean it's it's very powerful stuff very cool thank you so how do you go from writing a project like this to then being like okay now what do you know like (laughs) this feels like a magnum opus of your career right what like how do you go to on to the next one
1: you know, i you know how it is you're getting a book out and you start working on the next one. So I am working on something every time I try to get away from World War II, it's like I'm pulled in, I get sucked right back in. So I had told you about this stolen, this Warsaw ghetto uprising yeah. type of story. So that is the background, but it's also about an actress of today, an older woman who a young actress wants to do a documentary on her. And she also has a completely hidden past. So think like Lauren Bacall, who's, you know, this famous actress, but she is not really Lauren Bacall. Like, you know, she's Betty Mm -hmm. Persky, her real, you know, name. And so I'm inspired by sort of this, you know, facade of, acting and, and actresses and what went on with her history. you know, you didn't know that she was an assassin back in the day, you know, back in her younger years. So I'm working this story right now, you know, and we'll see what happens. I, I'm really enjoying this character, but I have to kind of put it aside every time I'm, you know, with book stuff. So it's kind of a stop and start, but that's sort of what I'm working on right now.
0: Wow. Well, I'm really excited for you, for this book to come out, for people to learn and get wrapped in. I mean, talk about a book where, you know, you're not going to have your attention waver, right? You're like in it, like you do all the things to keep people engaged, oh, thank which thank is you. great. Anyway, bravo, congratulations. And I can't wait to hear the news of, you know, what the adaptation or whatever the news is that you have. I'm very excited to hear publicly. So yes. (laughs) All right. Okay. Well, I hope everybody feels better in your family and that all is good. Thank you. you Can I just say one thing? I just,
1: I I hope you are told enough over and over how amazing you are and what you do for our community. You work effortlessly 24 seven to promote writers while you're working, while you're being mom, while you're doing all these things. And it's and you are so loved and appreciated. So, you know, if I have this one little last stand, Aww. it's you. Thank you so much for all that you do. Really. Thank you, Lisa.
0: Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Bye. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.
3: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig.